Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. All right, today we are into our fifth message on a series on Joseph's life. And uh, each one of these installments on Joseph's life is a, one of the 10 tests that Joseph went through from going from a young 17-year-old boy all the way through to becoming the Prime Minister of Egypt. And uh, in each one of these installments, there's something for you today. I can guarantee that. There's something for me today because God has all of us on a journey where He has destination points in mind for our lives. And when you're on a journey, you don't just get there. Wouldn't that be nice if I just thought, right, I'd like to be in Wellington right now. Bang, and I'm in Wellington. But life doesn't work like that. We're on a journey, we're on a destination, and it's on the destination that God begins to work with us as we become aware of His hand working within our lives. So I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord just to help me to be succinct and to the point uh, this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is power. We pray today, Lord, that uh, the hearing of your word would go deep into our spirit. I ask that it would lodge there. I pray that there would be something for every single person today by the spirit to speak to our hearts and to move us closer to that destination that you've called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. So today I want to talk about the prison test. Joseph started off with the pride test. He got great visions as a young man, started skiting to his family. Everybody thought he was way over the top. His brothers started disliking him. And then the Bible says they hated him because he seemed like the favored one. He had all these amazing dreams and he absolutely broke the bank when he told his brothers that they're all going to bow down to him one day and even his parents are going to bow down to him. That was just too much for them. So they hit the eject button and he went from being a prideful, proud young man to going into the pit where his brothers threw him into a pit. And we often come in life where we face unexpected pit experiences where everything seems dark, dismal. We're facing issues like anxiety, depression. And we talked about that in Joseph's life. And then Joseph got sold to Potiphar and, we, and he moved on to the next test within his life, which was the palace test. And the palace test in our lives is when God gives you something uh, that you're called to be faithful in another man's or another woman's vision and to serve that man. And he served Potiphar. But in the process of serving Potiphar, he went from the palace test straight into the purity test, where Potiphar's wife got the hots for him. She came on to him very strong. She wanted to sleep with him. And, uh, and we find that uh, Joseph had this incredible test where, where he, had been, he had been given access and authority over everything in Potiphar's wife except for Potiphar's wife. That's a no-go area. And uh, so she tried it on and he ran for his life. She ripped his jacket off as he was leaving. And, uh, and then she, she uh, fabricated a story saying that he tried to rape her. And of course, he was innocent. And, uh, and so 
Joseph's having all these seesaw moments in his development because God has a plan for his life, just like he has a plan for your life. And sometimes we go through these seesaw experiences within our life and we're trying to work out what God's doing when he's actually putting you through preparation so that you're ready for when he wants to utilize your life and position you exactly where he wants you to be. Can I hear an amen from somebody this morning? Amen. You are heading somewhere today. You need to understand that. And so we catch up with this tragic set of circumstances where an innocent man is going to prison for something he never did. I don't know how Joseph would have felt. I know how I would feel. I'd say, this is a ripoff. I'd say, God, what are you doing? You're supposed to be with me. It seems like you've left me. You're allowing me to suffer for something I never did. And, you know, we, we all know injustices happen every day in our lives. You know, somebody, somebody, it can be as innocent as somebody looks at you because of the way that you look, and they're already profiling you as a criminal. And you're thinking, I haven't done anything wrong, mate. <laughs> look somewhere else. <laughs> and so, and yet it can be something as innocent as where you've been blamed for something at your job that you never did, but you know the workmate who did do it but you don't want to get them in trouble, so you take the blame. It can be small things like that. And so today I want to talk about the prison test. This is the next phase in uh, Joseph's life. And I want to put a question to you today. Listen to this question. Joseph made a decision to walk in obedience no matter what the price. And he had every reason to expect the blessing from God and a road of comfort because he made the right decisions. But that's not what happened. His immediate reward was prison, being slandered, lied about, and falsely accused, and thrown into jail. But he did everything right. How does it feel when you seem to be doing everything right, but everything else seems to be going wrong? Has anybody, am, am I the only one that has experienced this in life? So what's wrong with this picture today? This is what we call the prison test, and this is all about perseverance under trial. Persevering under trial. When we do the right thing and we get the wrong result, we are going through the prison test. When you do the right thing but you seem to get the wrong result, that's called the prison test today. And we enter into God's waiting room. We know that Joseph was around 17 years old when he got sold into slavery. He spent somewhere around 10 years for, in jail for a crime he never committed. And uh, this was God's waiting room for him. It's a little more than waiting an extra 45 minutes at the doctor's surgery when you start getting upset. When are they going to see me? When am I going to try 10 years in the waiting room to see the doctor and see how you feel in that moment? Or sitting in Auckland traffic for an extra hour or two because of an accident. Try 10 years in God's waiting room, waiting for God uh, to sort the situation out. And, you know, we know that Joseph 
God allowed tribulation into his life because of the possibility it produces only when we respond rightly to God's dealings in our lives. So there is possibility that we don't respond the right way. And that can sometimes go pear-shaped for us in those moments of trial. So these waiting rooms, what are they all about? Romans 5 verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why don't you try letting your face know that you're happy sometimes when you're happy? And he says, he says, yeah, rejoice in your sufferings or your hardships or your tribulations. And then he gives a reason. He says, because your sufferings produce perseverance. And perseverance is gold within your life. Because we know nobody ever lives life where it's just click, click, click. We're going from one level to another level to another level. And suddenly we're radiating in glory. And everything's sweet. Everybody loves us. We love everybody else. What a utopia world that we live in. That's not the real world. What actually happens is, is that we come to these roadblocks, these stumbling blocks, these moments where we're whining and whinging, if we're honest, and we're saying, why me? God, don't you love me anymore? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Hello? And he's saying, why don't you take a different approach and understand that the God that loves you is actually sovereign? That means he's in control of everything over this world. And that if you're going through hardship right now, it's because he wants to produce something new in you. And that's called perseverance. That means being able to stay at the wheel, even under trial and tribulation, or stay on the ship in the middle of the storm and not jump overboard like Jonah did, where he got turfed overboard because he was the problem in that situation, but we stay at the helm and we say for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer marriages. Too many people wanting to hit the eject button too quickly when it comes. And I understand that uh, we've, we've got many people here probably who've been through a divorce. It's a terrible thing to go through. We understand that. We understand the sufferings. We understand that there's a lot of innocent people in a marriage that's gone wrong. But my goodness me, when New Zealand's got a shortage of divorce lawyers right now, mainly because people came face to face in lockdown and realized, I'm not sure whether I actually really like you anymore. That I don't, now that I don't have to go to work and I have to look at you all day. <laughs> because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Somebody once said, what's character? Character is who you are when nobody's watching. How do you respond to life? Do you have a, a right response or do you find yourself getting bent out of shape quite quickly and easily? And character produces that vital ingredient called hope. There is actually nobody that can work through their life and live through their life without experiencing hope of some kind. Hope says to you, there's a better day coming. Hope says there's more in store for my life than what I'm experiencing now, and it pulls you forward into the future, and it gives you the opportunity to actually believe inside of you that God has got something in store for you that is much better than what you may be experiencing right now. 
Praise the Lord. You know, here's a reality check for us as we head down to uh, Matthew 7. Jesus talked about the parable of building our house on the rock. And just to summarize for you for the sake of time this morning, this is basically what he says. He says, when the storms come, if your life has been built on sinking sand, in other words, a foundation that's going to shift when the rain and the wind and the storms and the floods come, then your house is going to fall over at some point in your life. All of us probably know what it's like to have our house fall over. I know I do in my life. And it's a very unpleasant experience. And when we read these words of Jesus, he says, if you're willing to build your life on my words, hear them and obey them, then you're going to be building your life on an unshakable rock that will not be moved no matter what storms come your way. And so what I want to remind you about today is simply this. We listen to that parable and we think, oh, it's about building on the rock, but we forget the key component in both the wise and foolish man is that they both had to go through the storm. We all have to go through the storms. No matter what radar equipment you've got on board that can predict it, somewhere along the way you're going to get caught out and you're going to end up going through the storm because we love to dodge the storms. And when the storms hit us, of life, it can be suddenly the loss of somebody that you love dearly and they've had a sudden heart attack and aneurysm and they're gone. You didn't even get to say goodbye. That is a, that is a, a storm of grief that can go around your life or you watch somebody you love dearly get, get terminal, a terminal illness and you have to watch them slowly suffer and die. These aren't easy things, friends. They're challenging things within life, but we all have to go through the storms. And God says, if you're prepared to do it my way, then this is what's going to happen. I'm going to produce the ability in you to endure no matter what you go through. Because when the heavy stuff hits, we actually find out whether our house is built on a house of cards or whether our house is actually built on the rock on Jesus. And that character comes forward and then hope comes forward within our lives. You know, preparation is the period when you are still watering your dreams and visions with the tears of your prayers. Preparation is the season in all of our lives when we are, we're, we're, we're still watering, we're allowing the dreams of God and the visions of God within our life to be watered with the tears of our prayers. Did you know that the Bible teaches every tear you shed gets stored in God's bottle? There's not one tear that falls to the ground out of your eye that God doesn't know about. That shows you his love towards each one of us this morning. They that sow in tears, the Bible says, shall reap in joy. So in other words, the joyful seasons are often preceded by tearful seasons. Seasons of challenge, seasons of difficulty within our life. I love what Habakkuk says, chapter 2, verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. There's the hard part. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I often think of Richard Brunton sitting here this morning. Give us a wave, Richard. I often think of this verse when I, uh, when this verse I think of you. 
And I think at the latter end of your life, God gave you a vision to write a little booklet. And that little booklet is now uh, 1.4 million, something like 2,350,000 booklets in the space of a few years. Though the vision tarry, wait for it. That could have happened to him in his 20s, but it hasn't. It's happened to him in whatever decade he's in now, I won't say. In whatever decade he's in now, I won't say. But at the latter end of his life, he's had to tarry and wait for incredible fruit to begin to abound. We never know what God's plan is for a life. He would have never predicted it, that he would have been the author of a book that sold 2,350,000 copies. Let's give him another hand this morning. Praise the Lord. You know, and in basic agriculture, when you sow a crop, I was raised on a cropping farm. When you sow a crop, you don't get up the next morning and reap it. That's, that's sometimes our mentality. I was a good boy today, God. I sowed rightly. I responded rightly. I'm expecting my harvest tomorrow, please. We don't understand that there are seasons from between sowing the seed and reaping the harvest. Amen. And that's God's waiting room. And it's in the waiting room that patience, perseverance, endurance, and character begins to be worked out. You know, Joseph could have done this. He could have put his fist up to God when he landed in prison. He said, God, how dare you? You gave me these, God, you gave me these visions and these incredible dreams. How come I'm rotting in the dungeon in this prison? Because the Bible tells us in Psalms that he was bound with fetters of iron, ball and chain, ball and chain in a rotten dungeon. No, my family's supposed to be bowing down to me. You have a great plan for my life. How come I'm here, God? We don't read that about Joseph's life. And that's the reason why God was able to promote him after a decade of suffering. He gave him the highest position possible for a civilian, the prime minister of a nation. He went from prisoner to prime minister in one day, fast-tracked. Why? Because he'd done the hard mahi. He'd done the hard work of persevering under fire for 10 years in the midst of that trial. So I want to finish off with, and they are short keys this morning, of why and what happens in the prison test. Number one, Joseph responded by trusting God's faithfulness. Genesis 39, in the midst of the story, listen to this, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He's landed in prison. But suddenly, the boss of the prison has taken notice of him, and he realizes that God's hand is upon him. And suddenly, he finds himself being activated with what he's good at in the midst of a dark period within his life. He's working the purposes in the midst of the darkness. Remind you today, God has promised, this is how faithful he is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. I will never leave you. Never leave you. Never interpret your trial, your trials and your tribulations that God has left you. He's never left you. He will never leave you no matter what you go through within your life. Do you remember the story of three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who wouldn't bow to the idols uh, in the book of Daniel? 
and they, they would not bow down to the false gods. And so the, the, um, the big boss says this. He says, right, you're all going into the fiery furnace. They turn the heat up as high as it is possible, so much so that the people who are working the furnace can't even get near it because they're getting their hair singed on their body. They throw them in there, and suddenly the king's looking, and, and there were three people thrown into the furnace, and then suddenly the fourth one pops up. Quite nice to have a little pop-up person popping up in the midst of your trials. And, and the scripture says, uh, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Jesus Christ entered that furnace right in the midst of that trial. He was with them. He would never leave them nor forsake them, and that's exactly how God is with you and I today. He will not leave our side. So don't spend wasted years of your life getting angry at God, getting bitter at people, holding on to unforgiveness. It will poison your soul. Let it go, Michael. Let it go in the name of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work within us and bring forth that perseverance trait. Secondly, he, res he responded by serving others in the midst of his own pain. You know, it says this in Genesis 40. It says this, he served them and they were in custody for a while. So he's been in prison for a while, and somehow the chief butler and the chief baker of Pharaoh, two key guys in his palace, get out of sorts with Pharaoh. We don't hear what happens in the Bible, and they end up in prison. And as they are admitted to prison, how would you go? What would your response be? Oh, good job. They probably did something. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but they probably did something to deserve it here and let them suffer for a while, maybe like you did. But you know what? The Bible says he served them. That word serve in the Hebrew means that he waited upon them and ministered to them. In the midst of his own trial, he was still willing not to allow his own life to be the center of everything that he was going through. He still had eyes to see that others needed help. That's the kind of believer that God's raising up in these last days. That even in the midst of our own trials, we can still keep an eye out for others. We can still love others. We can still care about others. We can still do things for other people. Amen? And not be absorbed with our own challenges and issues. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Lastly, this morning, Joseph, number three, he remembered God's promise. These two guys get in prison. They both have dreams. And can you imagine? Because they're perplexed. They don't understand their dream. Uh, the butler and, and the baker. They both have dreams. They, they can't get the dreams out of their mind. They remember the dream clearly. You ever had that? You remember the dream clearly, but you're wondering what on earth is it all about? And can't you help but just remember and think about this situation? What was Joseph feeling? He's had incredible dreams. No doubt their dreams remind him once again about the dreams he once had for his life. And so he says to them, hey, I want to hear about your dreams because I believe that God is the only one that can give clear interpretation on dreams, that he can make sense of these dreams. And he had the gift to be able to interpret dreams. And so 
This is the thing. This is the thing that we need to understand, and that this is a great truth. How many of you have had prophecies uh, spoken over your lives? Can I see your hand? You've had prophecies over your lives. Okay, that means that God has spoken to you through another person about future days in your life. About what this? That was ninety percent of your hands went up. How many of you would say that all those prophecies have come to pass? No hands. Okay. <laughs> Apart from Richard. Praise God. <laughs> we can see why. Listen, it's, it's as simple as this. Joseph's unswerving confidence was based upon one key element within his life, his trust in the revelation of God's spirit into his heart. When you have heard from God and God has spoken into your spirit, come hell or high water, you are able to hold on even in the midst of the most disturbing situations because you know that God has said, Lord, you said, Lord, you promised, Lord, you made it clear to me. And when your circumstances are going in the opposite direction, like Joseph was, he was reminded of his own dreams and he held on to them and he held on to them. And it was through the process of helping someone else interpret their dreams that he ended up interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and was made the prime minister out of that gift. Listen, when we're going through these times, we can remind ourselves and we can be absolutely confident to move forward within our lives with unswerving reality to know that God has spoken, so therefore I'm going to trust in His Word and not in my circumstances. James 1.3 says, The testing of our faith produces endurance. Hebrews says this, verse t- chapter 12, Let us run with endurance. I was useless at that at school. I was a sprinter. Love the 100 meters, the 200 meters, 400 was a bit of a stretch for me. Anything over that, hopeless. Not enough endurance. And I used to admire long-distance runners who could just keep the pace and they could even turn it up and switch it up at the end because they trained their bodies for endurance. Paul says to the Hebrews, or the writer to the Hebrews says this, run your race with endurance, with perseverance. Keep running, keep going. Don't give up this morning. And he says, uh, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Isn't that true? When we start taking our eyes off Jesus, that's when it all goes pear-shaped. Lord, we're going to hold on to you. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln, you know, some might consider him an overnight success, but let me tell you Abraham Lincoln's story, the once president of the United States. He had two failed businesses, one nervous breakdown. He endured the death of his wife, his beloved sweetheart, He was defeated to public office no less than 10 times. 10 times he went for office and he was defeated. Over the space of 30 years of trying, and then finally he was elected the President of the United States of America. You know what? There's no such thing as overnight success. There's a story behind every success. 
And it's usually years and years of preparation of God building endurance into us. So friends, I want you to hold on to the promises that God has given to you. Look to Jesus. Don't let go of his face within your life. Hold on to him with everything that you have, understanding he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He can be trusted. He's trustworthy. He's proven himself over thousands of years to be trustworthy for us to hold on to. Uh, You know, the wonderful thing about Joseph, which I marvel at his life, and it's this, and I'm going to finish on this verse. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Do you know what hope deferred is? It's allowing a situation to lose hope through disappointment. And we allow the disappointments to be like those mucky insects that are hitting our windscreen when we're driving at night and suddenly we can no longer see. And we get so disappointed that we lose our hope and we let our hope go. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true, there is life and joy. You know, hope deferred is simply this. Hope deferred is hope that's turned to disappointment. And when you're going through a long and difficult trial, you can't allow that to happen within your life. Keep hoping. Keep trusting in God. Don't lose sight of that hope. 13 years for Joseph. I don't know what it is for you, but hope is not for the future. If you don't have hope, it makes your heart sick. If you don't have hope, it makes your heart sick. You feel sick. We feel empty. We feel like there's no compass point in our life. We're not heading anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We hope, we've got no current hope. We're not believing for a better day within our life. It's believing that God's working everything out for our good. Right now, that's what hope is. It believes that hope, as Melanie has said this morning, it's the hope that God loves us. He's madly in love with us, and he's promised to take care of us right now. Today, he wants to take care of you. So hope is believing that God is with us no matter what our circumstances are telling us. And it's this kind of hope that produces appointments, not not disappointments. So when you lose hope, this is what happens. You miss divine appointments. And your sickness of having hope deferred making the heart sick. When you have hope, it brings divine appointments. When you lose hope, You suffer in disappointments. Is that clear enough to see this morning? And we get buried in those disappointments. So I'd like us to finish, if we could stand together, please.